All right, so open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. It's that passage in the New Testament that your Bible will probably fall open to now during the pandemic. Um, Verses 24 and 25 we'll get to. And, um, you know, I was telling my people, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 isn't what we're going to appeal to right now, early on in the pandemic, but uh, I just preached it to our people a few weeks ago. I said, it's time now. And uh, I believe, but wherever you are with your church on that, it's an important text, and we're going to talk about counseling, not so much COVID when we come to it. Um, I'd like to, I, I want to open with a quote from Don Carson that I think is just excellent. It's from his book, For the Love of God, it's volume two, and this is a slight paraphrase of what he says, but he starts with this, people do not drift towards holiness. People do not drift towards holiness. Let me, let me continue to read Carson on that, but I want that phrase to, to, to resonate with you. They do not drift towards holiness. He continues, Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, towards prayer, towards obedience to Scripture, towards faith, and towards delight in the Lord. He's right. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. Maybe put the word mysticism in there. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. All that to say, we do coast, we do drift. But back to his opening statement, that drift is never toward holiness. That's a good quote to launch us into our our discussion together right now. Now, I put this on the board in my first session yesterday, whether you are here or not, I always want to bring students of biblical counseling back to what we call the key elements. Mainly because I remember getting the key elements for the first time in 1991. Uh, The school I was employed at sent me and and two other people uh, to the wilds because Lafayette was coming down, Bill Goode, Doc Smith was still out with MacArthur. He flew in for this. Um, and Steve Byers, these are the teachers. And they did the full week of, of Lafayette Track 1 at the Wilds in 91. And that's, I mean, I've been reading Jay Adams in grad school, and I was, I was newly sold to this whole thing called Nuthetic Counseling. But to have that all in, in one week um, was just, I was in. I was in, and I've been in since then. I, I'm, I'm totally committed to... to are what we call biblical counseling. But they taught me that week in 1991 what they always teach in the first semester or the first track, and it's called the key elements of biblical counseling. And it's like, oh yeah, that's important. That's a six-part outline. That's pretty important. Let's get on to the good stuff now. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about uh, depression. Let's talk about addictions and stuff like that. And I just kind of always kept the key elements as an introductory, necessary conversation we have to have so that we can get onto the good stuff. And then I went on to counsel 
um, do another degree or two. I did another, uh, and, and I was in youth ministry, really counseling a lot, reading these books as they're coming out. And then I went back to Lafayette because a group of our church in Winston-Salem wanted to get some counseling training. So we took a group back and I told my wife, I want you to go through this too. So she went and I said, since everyone's going, I'm going to join the party. I'm going to redo track one with everyone because I want to have the conversation in real time at the restaurant. What are they learning? And so I sat through the same stuff I'd sat through 10 years earlier. Guess what the first few lectures were on? The key elements of biblical counseling. And 10 years after I'd been doing it, I had to be humbled realizing that that wasn't an introductory necessary evil to go through those six points. The key elements of counseling are to be present not just in the first session, but present in every session. And I had missed that. And I got more out of track one the second time um, uh, than I did the first time. And I'm determined when I have a chance to, to talk at you, I want you to feel this weight. Because this is... This is your plan in every session. Deepak said yesterday, and it's so true, most of the time, and you who do counseling know this to be true, most of the time you walk in a room, you have no idea what you're going to say. You walk in with pastoral presence and, and confidence in Scripture and a robust theology, but even if you are dealing with another presenting issue of depression, it's this person's depression, birthed out in their backdrop, in their stage. And, and in a very real sense, you start at zero, at the beginning of a counseling case. And, and when this thing grows into a tree, it's going to look different from another case that you've done, most other cases. But one thing that's going to be the constant is not only your theology of change and growth, progressive sanctification, but it's going to be your plan in the room. Now, I'm just going to write these on the board again because I'm going to refer to them uh, throughout what we're going to talk about here. Uh, the key elements of biblical counseling, is, as Lafayette words them, you have, and they're in no particular order, but I think you do usually have to start here with data gathering. I think data gathering starts before your first session with your intake forms. We use a standard PDI packet, we call, personal data inventory. It's the one Adam's introduced and people have been tweaking. We also include in that packet uh, the questions, what do you see as the problem? What have you done so far? Have you gotten help anywhere else? What was that help? And what else do we need to know? And then we also have in there the ACBC consent to counsel form, which protects us. It protects their understanding of what they're going to get as far as biblical counseling, what it is, what it isn't, and then it protects us legally. That's our, those are our intake forms. So you get that, you're gathering a ton of information before your first session. Then, of course, you get into your first session, you're asking uh, two, basically two categories of questions. Extensive questions, as Randy Patton says, these are the, uh, this is the Reader's Digest version of help me get to know everything about you, but talk not in chapters, talk in paragraphs, please. Um, and then that's, those are extensive questions, and then against that backdrop, you, you mark things that you want to come back and probe with intensive questions later. That's an oversimplification of what Deepak just so helpfully unpacked in that. That session just now was excellent. Okay, the others, you're going to begin to discern the problem. Don't think that you can do this completely in the first session, but uh, you're always going to be coming to the Proverbs 20, verse 5 moments in the sessions and on the trajectory of the counseling. This is plans in the heart of a man are like deep waters, and a man of understanding will draw them out. You've heard that verse a ton this week, and I'm glad. Uh, Lafayette's going to use an, acro- um, um, an acrostic STOP, a little stop sign, 
to help you remember this one. S is subjective, what brings them into counseling. Uh, um, T is thinking, what were they thinking during whatever they're describing to you as a reaction they had or a struggle they're having. O is the objective, what's really going on around you that you're reacting to. And then P, you're looking for uh, pre- preconditioning patterns in their life. Okay, Another lecture I know, I just want to remind you what these are. You're also going to um, gain involvement. Some people say, or some people act as, this, as if this is the only session you do this in, involvement, is the first session. What gaining involvement is, is contractual talk. Here's what you can, here's what you can expect from me as a counselor. I'm going to love you. I'm going to ask questions. I don't want to be a fool. I want to get the full picture. I'll never give you busy work. That's a big one you've got to promise. And, uh, and things like that. That's what you can expect from me. Here's what I expect from you. You've got to do your homework. If you don't do your homework, I'll give you two swings at that. If you show up and you don't do homework, um, we'll have our next session, and I'll give you homework again, and I'm going to amp it up a little bit. And if you call me and say the homework's not done in that third session, we'll go ahead and just close in prayer, and you call me when the, the homework's done, and we'll schedule the next meeting. It's that important. I'll never give you busy work, but what I do give you, I need you to do, and space it out. If we're meeting on Thursday, I don't want you doing your homework Wednesday night. All right? And I'll give you a little tool that I've developed that's helped with that. Um, so you gain involvement. What, what you expect from them, what they expect from you. You're always going to provide teaching or provide instruction in every section, in every uh, session. And uh, it is interesting. I was just at the ACBC conference and Randy Patton was given just a great workshop on, on some of this. And, and he says, when you provide instruction, you've got you to throttle it back a little bit. Some counselors are so excited, they have so much uh, knowledge, maybe from an MABC or an MDiv, or, or they're a very energetic reader, and they, and they retain it, and they're just ready to have a data dump on the counselee every time. And Randy Patton says when he's coaching someone like that as their fellow, he says, you may tell me one passage you're going to open your Bible to in the next session. You can only open it to one passage, what would it be? And you only teach from that passage. Give them one thing to walk out with, put handles on. But you're always going to provide some instruction. Um, You're going to uh, give hope. Always give hope, not just in the first section or session, every session. And then finally, a key element is assign homework. Now, my brothers and sister, these have to be present in every session. This is your plan. This is your plan. See, I don't like that one. I like the Westminster seven eyes. Great, that's the same thing. You say, well, you only got six. Westminster guys like Mac and Street and them, they have seven eyes. What's the difference? They, they, they would put number seven, it would read church discipline if needed. And their eye that they give church discipline is inducement. All the other six eyes are saying to an to a item the exact same thing. Just have a plan, no. Have a plan. Now, my task uh, in the rest of our time together today is to focus on this one, but I think you can already see there's two reasons I want to list this out because, well, I'm, I'm preaching them to you right now off the notes. Got to have a plan. But this is not done in isolation. What we're going to talk about today is part of a package. All right? So I want to talk, I want to assume, like Dr. Minnick says, I want to, I want to assume that you have never thought through the topic of counseling homework, 
but that you are capable of learning everything about it. All right? That's how we're going to start. So we're, we're talking about this, but not, dis, not detached from the rest. Uh, so if you go to your notes here, um, I say the writer to the Hebrews puts on the table a mandate for every believer in every generation, actually. It, it flows out of the realities that we have bold access to God and a high priest, Jesus Christ, that ministers on our behalf. You know what comes before this text. The mandate, though, I want to draw your attention to is verse 24 of Hebrews 10. It says, Let us... After all, uh, after all he said, especially just going back at least to verse 19, we get to verse 24. Let us consider or study how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is a general call to the body life of the local church. As some put it, the radical ownership we have of each other because of the union in Christ that we share. All right? And uh, I don't want you to read verse 24 and 25 right now and think COVID. I want you to think this is the normal life of church. And in counseling, you are having the opportunity to ratchet that up just a bit. Have you ever seen Steve Weyer's little illustration of a river uh, to demonstrate this? It's, it's, it's outstanding. I've run, I've run out of whiteboard. Will they mind if I just... No, never mind. I'll, just, I'll use a different, different color here. Um, Weyer says, and this was in the Journal of Biblical Counseling years ago, this is the Osable River, guys. Right there? I'm, I'm trying to go up north for you a little bit, Andy. Okay. Um, uh, this is the Osable River, and you're taking your teens there, and, and, and you put into the river with your teens. You have your, you have your uh, adult chaperones in the front canoe and the back canoe because, again, you're with Christian teens. <laughs> okay, and... And you get on the Osable River, and what happens? Well, the, the current is going this way. And it's interesting, the, the, the more shallow it is, the more you feel the current. But there is a current that's discernible, and it's, it's going one direction. All right. Uh, but every once in a while, when it gets to be around 11 in the morning, perhaps, or 11.30, you tell your teens, hey, there's a little, there's a little turnoff here in the river. I don't know, what do we call that, an eddy or something like that? Okay. And, and you say, let's, let's go in here and... and, and and have our picnic, our lunch here, and, and then we'll sing our El Shaddai and all that there, okay? Uh, over lunch, and, and do Lord or do Lord. Um, <clears throat> and so you come down here. What do you find down here? You find that even though you're off the Osable River, the main river, there's still a current here. And eventually, if you stay here, it's a slower current, perhaps, but if you stay here, eventually you're going to merge back out to the normal current. And I love what Vire says. I mean, he doesn't talk about the Osawa River because he's, well, he's over in a different state, but uh, in Indiana. But here's his point. Your church and, and our church should have a discipleship current going on. Uh, you get excited about election and predestination and all that as you read through the beginning of Paul, Pauline epistles. Um, but but you, at some point, that rich theology has to produce the second half of Paul's epistles, which is a radical ownership of each other, and we're growing together, and there's an obligation for each other. That's a discipleship flow current of your church. But every once in a while, some people who are up here, and everyone up here should be growing and being discipled and discipling, I would argue. Every once in a while, something needs to come to the side for extra attention. Okay? Um, I'm working with a family this week whose dad passed away at St. Joe's Hospital two nights ago. I'll do his funeral tomorrow. 
I'm working closely with them, even at this conference right now. Not just with details, but how are you doing, that kind of thing. And, and so I'll, I'll isolate them, or this could be um, a counseling session, a presenting problem of depression or, or addiction or whatever. And I want to I bring them down here. Notice a couple of things that Vire will mention. They are never separated from this current. Just because they're having one-on-one time with you or with you and your wife, it's, they're still part of this. They don't get to check out of this. Some of my homework every week, I'm going to argue, needs to be about this. Okay, But we are going to isolate with you for a while, but understand it's not forever. Formal counseling will end. My wife and I are ending a formal three-month counseling relationship with another couple. Uh, there's been a lot of good progress with them, and in t- I think it's in two weeks, two Wednesdays from now. Yeah, it's two Wednesdays. Um, we're having that last session. But we're going to say to them, even though formal counseling is, is now ending for this, you're just going to merge back into the same current that you never really left. We just slowed it down and focused on you for a while. Does that make sense? I love that. That's, Steve Virus came up with that and, uh, years ago, and they're still quoting that. So that's, that's what's going on uh, we see here. In Hebrews 10.24, the word that we're translating, consider, katana'eo, calls for a continuous effort to place your mind down and to just study someone. I love the fact that Wayne Mack has made available to us two volumes of homework assignments, and both of them are in my library, and they've been there a long time. I've, I've really appreciated that. But I just want to caution you, as you get formal training in biblical counseling and theology, don't just reach for the stuff that someone else has done for their counselee. Develop the skill, I guess, the wisdom, if I can use a proverbial word, of developing homework assignments unique to this person and what was just said in this session. You can do that. In a very real sense, crafting homework assignments is like being a, 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 a pharmacist. Okay, uh, You're giving them what they need. Um, I, I actually find it, my wife and I find it uh, enjoyable um, when we, for example, the last time, every time we couple, we, we've uh, um, counseled this couple I just referred to, I've gotten into the habit that I will email you tomorrow morning your homework assignment because sometimes I'll write them out right there if, I, it's just a, if, if this is an easy one. But I want, them, I want to communicate to them. My wife and I want to talk and pray about this based on what we just heard and what's gone on so far and the progress you've made and still need to make, and I'll email you your assignment tomorrow. And, and we do. We talk about it and pray about it. And, uh, and we're studying. What did we just hear? What do they need to be doing that they're not doing yet? What conversations do they need to have they haven't had yet? And I'll email that out. I'm studying them. I'm putting my mind down on their unique presenting problems. And, and so I say, well, this is an everyday effort, this whole Hebrews 10.24 current thing. Okay? It's especially evident in counseling. Yet both the counselor and the counseling must understand that such interaction isn't just limited to the counseling Sessions. What goes on between the counseling sessions, I'm going to argue, is even more critical to the counseling process. So what I've just done, I haven't said that any of these are more important than the others. Uh, obviously, you, this is going to be where you are aiming. But what you do with number six might just maybe be the most important thing you do once you start seeing this or to expose this further. 
And guess what? You say, well, between the counseling sessions, they're not with you. Absolutely. Who are they with? The great counselor. And, and his word is what's going to create faith and, and rebuke and correct. So um, what I want to do with this topic of homework is I just want to outline it with four questions. Just four questions. That's it. And the first question, I need you to reach a verdict on and for your own, your own personal counseling ministry. The first question is this. It, it has to do with the purpose of counseling homework. Here's the question. Is homework vital or optional? Now, I put the question out there, and I want to make an argument, but you have to make a decision. Do you really believe that biblical counseling homework is just optional? It's a good idea, and I'll try to remember it's one of the sixth? Or is it something so important that I would argue you're not really doing biblical counseling if you're not doing homework assignments? Okay? Uh, I'm going to argue, of course, that it's vital. Letter A, homework communicates hope. Absolutely. It communicates hope. And by the way, that's also one of the, uh, um, the key elements, giving hope. Not just when you're talking, not just how you're listening, but what you're assigning. And so I say here, it's assigned at the conclusion of the very first session and every other session as well. I, I call it carefully, don't just do quick campfire counseling. Listen for a minute, talk for a minute, throw one of your three verses you memorized at the counseling training time, and then send them home to their youth pastor. Now, that, that's oversimplification and not fair. And in the camp, I have the joy of serving on the board of, we've reworked that, like right now, in the last few years. But you know what I'm trying to say. Don't just talk and then send them away. I wish counseling were just as easy as, share the verse, let's pray, throw your stick in the fire, and you're done. That's an extreme that I wish was true. Man, that saved me a lot of time. I could go to, to Smoky Mountain Knife Works more often because I have more time, go to Cabela. Um, it's not. Secondly, um, by so doing, sorry about that typo, um, by so doing, the counselor is communicating that change can begin when? Today, right now. Now, that doesn't mean that the total change is going to happen. Don't hear that. If someone has been abused and they have a ton of issues to work through, if someone's struggling with hearing the voice back to, to, to being a drunkard, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. But that change can start today. I expect it to. And, it's, and I'll tell them, it's not because I have some silver bullet. And it's not because I trust you and your, your heart, because you have a heart like mine. Um, but my confidence is in the Lord and in the gospel and in his finished work and in his indwelling Holy Spirit and what he's, what he's doing to you uh, and making you more like him. All right? It also communicates that God expects an immediate response to his word. I mean, we see this in both Testaments very clearly. If God says it, then he expects obedience. I'll come back to that. I just thought of something, but I want to keep an eye on our our time. Jay Adams gives the following diagram that compares this very point with non-Nuthetic counseling models. And I, I have that chart right out of this Christian Counselor's Manual. If you look at the top of the chart, you have Nuthetic sessions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are seven sessions here that we're contrasting Nuthetic sessions and non-Nuthetic sessions with. 
You've noticed, first of all, at the bottom of the chart, the non-Nuthetic sessions. And if you don't like the, that counselors use the word Nuthetic, don't let that distract you. Just say biblical counseling. Um, you might want to do something different with your 11 occurrences of, of the forms of that word. Um, but non-Nuthetic or non-biblical sessions, you have session one, and the T stands for talk. You talk. And then you come back to session two, and what, what do you do? You, you talk. You come to session three and you talk. You, you might not get a homework assignment until after session seven. You say, no, I'm telling you, I counseled 11 years in Virginia Beach. I was just a few miles away from Regent University. They had a Christian counseling center, integrationist. There was also across town a, a counseling center called Eden Counseling, a Christian counseling center, very integrationist. I sat on a panel discussion for a Christian school on, on anger with one of their counselors once and with a police officer. And it, was, it wasn't violent, but uh, uh, there was a great contrast between me and the lady counselor from there. I mean, they're just, they love Jesus and they want to help people and they position themselves the best they know how to help people, but they're giving wrong answers. Um, <laughs> to say it nice, I'm reading James 4 about anger in the meeting and my, the model's attacked. So what do you say? I'm like, well, okay. Um, but I've, I've had counselees from Eden, I've had counselees from Regent come to our church for counseling at some point. And, and here I am at the end of listening and talking and asking, doing, doing my plan I've been trained with, um, I assign homework. And, and literally, I've had, I've had couples or individuals look at me like, wow. Not just that I'm giving them homework, but how much I'm going to give them. I mean, it's realistic, but I, I want them to work. I want, it, I want to be a little inconvenienced. I'm that guy. And, um, and I'll look at it, and I, it's, not off, it's not too infrequently that I ask them, you got this? And they were like, yeah. Usually it's like, thank you. Because we've been paying money, at least $90 an hour back in that day. I'm sure it's higher now. And, and, and they talk, and they're degreed, but nothing happens. There's no expectation. And I'm like, no, we're going to work, because God's spoken. All right? So... Homework communicates hope. Secondly, is it vital or optional? I think it's vital because homework shifts dependence. Homework absolutely shifts dependence. You see, the, the counselee quickly learns that change does not just happen during the counseling hour, what Jay Adams would call the hour of power, right? Um, some people, now listen, the people that go to the, some of these other counseling centers are paying that kind of money. Why? because they really expect for change to happen up in that office, talking to that person with the diplomas around their head. And, uh, and it's like, oh, no, we can put that, to, we, we can bury that in the grave, a shallow grave in the backyard in session one. Um, I want to help you. But my, the best way and the only way I can help you is to open this book that I didn't write, introduce you to a Holy Spirit that according to 2 Corinthians 3.18 is conforming you to the image of Christ as we behold the glory of Christ. And it will be from glory to glory. And, uh, and I'm going to have, I'm going to do my best to get you ready to meet with him in an intensive way until we get together again. So it, it really shifts dependence away from the counselor. The bulk of concrete change takes place in the milieu of life between the counseling sessions. Absolutely. And, and here's why. The, the counselee will see in the faithful interaction with the Bible and homework, that it is the Holy Spirit, not the counselor, who's actively carrying out this process of change and growth. And again, I want to throw you back. The reason I keep taking you back to this Adams book is because it's a, it's a seminal book in the 
biblical counseling movement, and you guys know that Jay Adams didn't invent biblical counseling, right? You, we, we, we good on that? Or do I have to do that one? Um, he, just, he, just, he just told the evangelical world here in the West initially, um, let's take another look at this. Let, let's come back to this. It's just another Westminster guy calling out, saying we need, we need to come back to this. An interesting study, if you're looking to do a thesis, if you're working on an advanced degree in counseling, an MABC or something, um, look at Jay Adams' interaction and, and the impact that Van Til had on him. Okay, Just throwing that out there. I'm sure it's been written on, but it might be a fun study for you. So I had this chart again from that book, though. I, I really want you connected with this old book. Here's, here's, what, uh, here's session one, two, three, four. I'll just go up to six. All right, these are our sessions. And... Uh, Usually you'll do no less than six, at least a dozen or more sessions, whether you go every week or every two weeks. A non-neuthetic non approach to homework will look like this. You know, the, they start here, they're in a very bad place, the presenting problem, something that happened to them, maybe they're in an issue of suffering or issue of sin or, or guidance or something, but they're in a low place, they need help, that's why they set up the appointment with you. And they're pumped about that appointment. They're pumped about that. They're like, ah, I'm going to get some help. And so this is a positive trajectory. They come, they come to your meeting, and then you know, they listen to you. You obviously have a plan. There's things different about you. Um, well, we're doing the, the, sec, or the integrationist approach, so forget the plan thing. Okay, they're talking. They know a lot. They're talking a lot. They might ask good questions. And then 3 o'clock comes, and... What's the trajectory after that? Oh, bummer. That was good. Man, that felt like 15 minutes, but that was so helpful. They were so smart. I already feel better. And, uh, but, but nothing happens during the week. But then as next Thursday comes back uh, around on the calendar, they're, they're pumped. They get up that day and they say, I get to talk to the smart person again. And they really seem to like me. And, and, so, and, and we have a good hour, but then 3 o'clock comes, and what's the trajectory you're training them in? Well, okay, the change is over. The, the opportunity for change is over. You report back again, and, and it's like, yes, change. And then, but they leave, and they don't give any homework. And, and you see what's happening here? You're, you're setting them up for what? Eventually, this formal counseling will end, and what's the trajectory we trained them in? They've been depending on you the whole time. That's the integrationist or secular approach. Um, but let me give you the biblical counseling approach. Okay, those arrows are gone. Just imagine it. Um, they're at a low place. They start here, issue of sin or suffering or guidance, and, and they come for you. Whatever, however they come to you, they're going to be excited about that first session. We're getting, we're getting help finally. And then you send them out the door, and they have an assignment connected to their church, an assignment connected to Scripture, an assignment, a journaling assignment as they read through a Deepak book and. And, and then they also have to generate a list of 50 ways or selfish or something like that. And then you're making prayer a part of your assignment. What happens? Well, here's what quickly happens from the outset of the counseling. They're like, wow, counseling session's over. Now I've got to get to work. And this guy is merciless. He expects me to change my life. <laughs> like I'm going to work out every morning. Well, that's kind of the language Paul uses with gumnazo in 1 Timothy 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then, you know what? Next Thursday comes around at 2, and they're relieved. Because there's no homework assignment for Thursday. I just got to go back. And it's like, you know what you start hearing right away? In many cases, it's like, wow, that was, that was, that was a lot. But you know what? That, that was helpful. 
The first thing we do is, is always check homework. That's the first part. I let the homework, I, let, I usually let, my style is I let the talking points for the next session grow out of the homework. I was thinking of that when I assigned it. Um, and they're like, okay. Um, and we talk through it, and I help them massage it in or correct things that need to be corrected, and I send them out with new homework. And see what I'm doing now? Uh, um, they're going to start seeing patterns of what I'm assigning with homework, what I want to talk to you about. And eventually, this formal counseling is going to end, but what trajectory have I started? Okay, formally, we're, we're, we're going to tie this off for now. If you need to come back in the future, we'll do it. But right now, you know how to write your own homework assignment. I mean, you can actually, I might even have them assigning themselves the homework the last session or two, and then I'll okay it. And, and when we're done formally, they're back in that river helping others and writing homework for other people. That's the importance of homework. It shifts dependence. They don't need Jim in a, on their Thursdays every week at 2. Letter C, why is it, is it vital or, or optional? Homework reveals commitment. Homework reveals commitment. Assignments quickly reveal those counselees who are serious about change and those who are not. I promise you, this is my HD moment, everyone at this point looks and sounds serious. When they come in, they're like, I'll do whatever it takes to change. I've got to save my marriage. I've got I to gotta get away from porn. I've got to, I've got to, I'm in, I'm in. Okay? And, and, and the gaining involvement, they're like, okay, you got it. I, I will do whatever you say. Homework sifts that out. It really does. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Every man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Um, that's pretty important. They'll come in sometimes and the homework's not done, and I'll say, hey, what? You know, I don't just note that it wasn't done. I'll note that that's going to hamper a little bit what I wanted to do today. What came up in your life? I mean, what's, what happened? If it was the Michigan-Ohio game, I'll give a guy a day to mourn. <laughs> okay, but that's... Don't overspend that one. No. Um, I'll give them, I'll say usually, I want you working on my homework five times, five different days, separate days, um, before our next session. But if they're like, I didn't watch, or I didn't do the homework, I didn't listen to that, or I didn't watch that YouTube sermon, I didn't do, well, tell me, tell me about what you did do with social media this week. Tell me what games you did watch, what recreation did you pursue. What, what can I help you excise for the next six weeks, like you promised back here? Okay, um, I'm noticing that. Uh, it's going to reveal their commitments. It demonstrates that godliness is the fruit of personal discipline. You know, a lot of people say um, discipline precedes godliness, right? Can, you, can we agree on that conclusion from 1 Timothy 4, 7? Discipline precedes godliness. But what precedes Discipline. And, and it's just here I want to give you more of a wisdom observation. If discipline precedes godliness, structure precedes discipline. In other words, unless you're carving out time to go to the gym and go on this machine, this machine, this machine for 30 minutes, it's not going to happen, and you're still going to balloon. Okay? Um, it has to be, alarms have to be reset. Routines have to be restructured so that the discipline's in place. By the way, that's a whole parenting lecture, those three points, too. We, that's later. Letter D, homework uncovers problems, doesn't it? The fruit of assignments is further data about primary or secondary problems yet needing addressed. Uh, I believe as you interact with Scripture with homework, it's going to turn God's light on that we read about in John 3, Ephesians 5, uh, 
there's a light that projects. I've told a guy, I remember I had a police officer come in in Virginia Beach, and he'd been married 10 years, and he, he just, uh, it came out, he, he was having multiple adulteries with, with work people. And, uh, and now we're out to rescue his, his, his marriage, which God did. Um, but I remember he came in, he's, he, he's a beast of a man. Uh, he worked in the jail part. I mean, he can bust heads together. He's paid to do that. And, but but he, he, his head was hanging low. Um, he'd brought people. He'd brought some of his ladies into his house when his wife was gone. I mean, the whole thing. Uh, he was repentant, but he was like, "This wasn't the first time this happened in his young marriage." It was the first counseling case I had when I went to Virginia Beach in 2005. So here we got to rescue the marriage again. And as, and as I said, God did that. But I'm, I'll never forget that one session. He couldn't look up. He's, demonstra- he's starting to show the beginnings of, of repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, 11. But he says, it's just hard. I said, well, welcome to getting back into the light. And I'm using the John language. When you first come into the light after you've gotten used to darkness, the light hurts. It just, it just hurts. Your eyes will adjust to it once again. But this, this awkwardness and pain is a good thing. Welcome back to the light. And it's going to show some other things in your life, too, we're going to go to work on. Uh, so it uncovers problems. Um, it, homework letter E gauges progress. It gauges progress. The first thing the counselor inspects and discusses during each session is the previous week's assignments. If faithfully completed, the counselor will be able to clearly see if progress is evident, and he will be eager to point it out to the counselee as well. I love, you know, this is what Paul does with the Thessalonians in his letter. He says, you're doing well on this, and then he'll say twice, excel still more. I mean, I'm noting that. Good work. Let's keep going. I'll do that um, with couples or with individuals. I'll say, I'll, I, if, with a couple, I'll say, if, if they've done the homework, I'll then turn to the wife and I'll say, so tell me, because he did this homework, how have you seen this in concrete ways? Give me some very concrete scenes in the last five days where you've seen him grow. I want, I want to know that she's seeing it. And if she is, I want him to hear her say that. I want her to hear her own voice noticing that, especially if she's more critical. And, and the other way around as well. Let's, let's note the progress. Homework does that. So my question I have out on the floor is, is biblical counseling homework vital or optional? I hope I've won you over. It's, it's vital. Second point in question, the place of homework. Where does homework fit into the entire process? This is extremely elementary, but let's get it in one place here. Where does it fit into the process? Well, letter A, since the term homework carries with it the connotation of school days, it's often wise to refer to it by other designations. Uh, whatever term is employed, it should connote an extension of the counseling process um, past the counseling session. Now, I have some bullet points down there. Some pe- in the first one, some people refer to projects or I hear often people don't say homework, they say growth project. That's a good one. I didn't like the word homework when I was first introduced to Jay Adams and all that for the reason I put in the paragraph. Another thing that I, another term is assignment. I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay, okay, that's good. Sounds a lot like homework to me still, but uh, we'll do the assignment. Others will say, I want you to do a study. 
That's okay. That's good if you're doing a book or you're with the Bible. If you're having them do some journal reflections, I don't know that that hits. It sounds still like homework. So other people have other ways of referring to it. Guess what I refer to it as after all these years now? I threw up the flag. Yeah, just call it homework. Okay. Uh, letter B, the overarching goals of each counseling session should also be the goals as you craft each homework assignment. These goals, these three goals, are the goals of the counselor in each counseling session. And you're going to be able to see all of these in the key elements here. Uh, this is accomplished only as a result of, of these uh, crafted homework assignments or projects. Number one, you always want to gather information. You're always gathering information, not just in the session, but also through homework. For example, if I just, in, in the session before, or, or the session I'm sitting in right now with them, if I just went through my study called Your Rights When You're Wronged, and that is a study of, um, of, of Romans um, 12, 14 to 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just your, your rights when you're wrong. Um, I'll, I'll teach that, I'm sorry, during the providing instruction segment of the session, but then I'm going to assign homework. And, and, and one where I want to really... Um, communicate that this needs to go home with you is I'll say, all right, so I want you, first of all, to memorize the five rights I just gave you when you're wronged by each other. And I word it in a way I think is easy to memorize. And then I'll say, in addition to that, when you come in here next week, I want you both to be able to tell me. I want you to write it down. I don't want you to share your answers with each other. Okay, during the week. I want you to write down at least two times that your spouse wronged you, either actually or potentially, and which of these five things from Paul you reached for from Romans 12, and what, you're, what you did. Well, now they're waiting for each other to wrong them. Come on, i got to do my homework. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> you know, what do you, and, and then this little smile, you know, a settledness as it happens, and it's like, here's my plan. i got a plan now. And, and, and that's what I mean by this point. It, what we talked about is going home with you, and I want you to see that. So gather information, uh, make application, and then i got to stay rhyming here. Note maturation, <laughs> growth. Okay? Uh, that's where, when they come back, we have a ton of fun reviewing an assignment like that. In most cases, not always. Letter C, it is vital to keep the biblical process of change and growth both in your mind and in the mind of the counselee. And, and Paul delivers these three components in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Now, I'm a little nervous every time I pull a chart like this out for a couple of reasons. It looks like we're parachuting down in these three verses and ignoring the rest of what's come before that, Ephesians 1, 1 through Ephesians 4, 21. We're not. Don't do that. I'm also nervous with a chart like this because this can turn you into a legalistically sounding counselor. You can teach these different components, and then in the counselee's mind, who didn't get your degree and know of all the context of Ephesians, they're thinking, I need to put check marks next to these, and then I'm done with them. Don't do that. But don't let the danger of that keep you from communicating where we are in the change and growth. So, Component number one, it's Ephesians 4.22, put off the old man. Um, I call that repent. All right? And here's how I identify this component. This is identifying an old man trait, taking full responsibility for it, as uh, Dr. Um, Jacob said this morning. 
taking full responsibility for it before God and forsaking it. And I give you some other passages. And Jim Berg and Change to His Image calls this mortification of the flesh if you don't like the word repent. Component two is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Chapter 4, verse 23, I call that renew. This is a, a conscious effort to have the gospel perspective on life and on the specific area needing change and growth. It's internalizing God's mind, reading, memorizing, meditating on God's word. I give you some other references. Berg calls that meditation on the word. Component three is replace. You have repent, renew, replace. This is a conscious effort to replace unbiblical behavior with Christ-like behavior. The direction is given by a renewed mind. It's hard work, but it's energized by God's spirit and grace. And just, you know, I have some passages there, but just go to your virtue passages. Go to the wisdom from above in James 3, 13 through 18. Go to fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. Uh, go, go to the, the virtues that Paul lays out now that you have access as a child of God in Romans chapter 5. Uh, go to the virtues listed out in 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay? Um, I, that's an oversimplification of something that is a huge lecture, like two hours, three hours usually. But, but, but here's the thing. I have this chart in the form of a worksheet for the counseling room. And I have a little more time with them than I have with you in several weeks, you know, to not only teach them this and, 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 and how it fits into the rest of Ephesians, but I can send them this and the bottom is blank. I'll say, here's what I want you to work through this this week and journal it here on this chart, okay? That's a homework assignment that's keeping them connected with where we are. Next question, the issue of particulars. What must be present in every assignment? Letter A, be very clear and specific. Write it out. Francis Bacon said this, Reading makes a full man. Speaking makes a ready man. Writing makes an exact man. So this is forcing you to be precise and not be out there in general fluffy land. Okay. Uh, so what do we do to be clear and specific? Write them out in detail. I, sometimes, more often than not, I find myself emailing them the next morning, so I'm doing the keyboard. Ask if they understand the expectations. This is one benefit I can say at the end of the email address, but Randy Patton likes to do this. He'll sit there and write it out in front of them in silence for five minutes, and it's a good, awkward silence because it's communicating, I've heard you. And just, just watch me now, think through this, pray, and write. Um, so there is a dynamic that's good there. But after he gets done with that, he says, do you understand this? He goes over it, do you understand everything? Because nothing's worse than giving a homework assignment, or emailing it, or even in the session giving it, and they come back next week, and they misunderstood you, and they missed it, you lost a week. Make a copy for your files. Now what I do is I print out the email, and that, that sheet that I print out with the homework assignment... I put lines next to each of the items I can check off when I check it next week, and I actually write what was due for homework, what my agenda talking points are for this one, pending no surprises, and what I'm thinking of some future assignments. I write all that on that one email sheet that I printed out. That's how I take notes. I'm getting old and lazy, though, but it's working for me. Be very clear and specific. Uh, Letter B, explain the why behind your assignment. You always want to communicate and come back to the fact that you're not giving busy work. You say, what do you mean the why? That chart I just talked to you about. The, where, the whole progressive sanctification thing. Oh, there's a lot I want to put on the whiteboard on that. I, that would make you relax about that chart. It helped me. I'm going to show you. Just real quick. Okay. The, uh, biblical counseling, Jay Adams and all that, have always been popular with having the box put off, Right? 
and what's the other one? Yeah, put on. And that's good, and that's a reflection of Ephesians 4, 22, 24. I, I get that. Um, if you were to press someone that holds that to that simplistic model, I, I would say, where's the renew? I want to know where the renew is. And they would say, ah, here it is right here. It's, it's that line. I'm like, okay. I grew up in a draftsman house. I did detail work before CAD CAM was around uh, when I was in high school and college. Uh, so I want to know, okay, that's the top view. I want to know, as a detail drawer, what's the side view of that? You know what I'm talking about? So I need to do this. And I think when you, when you look at the side view of this model, I'm a lot more comfortable with it. It's actually a triangle. Okay? And, and this line becomes the most important thing in the whole rubric or the whole diagram. This is renew. This is God's word. And it's God's word that tells you as you go from this life, your justification, to this point, your glorification, you're never not repenting anymore or putting off, right? You're always going to have stuff that you're working on, including your presenting or your sin that's so unique to you. But you never know what to put off unless the word tells you what to put off. This isn't a little thing that we get put, that we, we squeeze in the middle of the process. Renewing informs you what to put off. And guess what? Between your justification and the time of your glorification, it's only then that you will ever be able to stop putting off and putting on. But until now, between then and now, you're doing it. It's renewing the mind with Scripture and the gospel realities that's telling you what to not just put off, but what you must put on. And this is the rest of our journey to glorification. And we don't stop this. We never get the luxury of getting through having to do this. This little line is the main thing. It's the main thing. So... There, there, sorry to take away a clean chart from you that you liked, okay? Um, it's more than just the line. So, um, to keep moving here towards your submarines, I say this. Uh, did I give that bullet point? Explain the importance of keeping their projects long after the counseling is finished because their homework assignments will serve as counseling notes for them to help others. You've taught them how to write counseling assignments. And that's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. The grace that you... We're touched by, now God can use through you. Letter C, explain the completed assignment as their ticket into the next counseling session. It's their ticket. This reveals both your resolve and your counselee's resolve to see personal discipline and change. And this is that gaining involvement. We're always going to go back to that. I promised you and you promised me. A failure to complete assignments between sessions provides the counselor with additional data. Lack of discipline, lack of commitment. So, um, if someone shows up for their second session, they haven't done their homework, I'll note that. I'll, I'll ask them. And if it's in front of a spouse, usually the spouse is thanking me with a grin. If they come to the, and then I'll give them a heavy one again. If they come to the third time, we'll have the session. I'll, I'll assign the homework and I'll say, call me when both of you have this done. I'm going to create a little storm in the living room there, a little pressure. And, uh, and that usually will get them back with their homework done or the counseling will... Stop. Now, Bill Good used to say, sometimes it's hard, but you have to close the file because they're not ready to change yet. They haven't hit God's wall hard enough yet. But then he'd be quick to say, but hold on to the file. They'll be back. Okay. The only exception to that is, of course, if this is an issue that could be heading towards church discipline, you don't have the option to close that file. Um, be sure, letter D, your wording and expectations are concrete. Why? Because change takes place only in the abstract. 
I'm sorry, never in the abstract. Change never takes place in the abstract. Got distracted there. A couple of examples. Abstract assignment. Go to church. Well, you've got to get them into that stream, the discipleship stream, and get under the preaching of the word. Concrete would be attend church three times this week. Take copious notes on all sermons and pray through the church prayer sheet each day this week and bring everything to me marked up. Um, it's interesting. There was an a, a ACBC counselor in our city in Winston-Salem where I was pastoring, and, and he'd say this. He'd, Jim Bledsoe is his name. You might know Jim Bledsoe. He's friend, real close friends with Bill Hill. And Jim Bledsoe at Faithway Baptist, people were always calling for counseling from the community. And he'd listen to them, bring them in for the first session, do all this stuff. And, but in order to gain involvement, he would say, man, I really want to help you. I'm here, everything I'm hearing, there's, there's something to help you with on that. There's, there can be change, like starting now. I'm all, and they're just like, wow, okay. And he'll say, would you, he'll say to them, I think this is ethical. He would say, could I meet with you four times this week? And you don't charge? No. And they're like, yeah, I mean, this is great, it's great. I'll meet you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday at 2. And then he would say this, because I'm not going to say anything, out, anything to you in private that's disconnected from what I do from the pulpit here. And so uh, that's, that's good, that's, that's wise. Okay, another con- uh, abstract would be uh, do devotions, okay? Or you could say concrete each day this week, work through four chapters of Proverbs, writing out each verse, has anything to do with what comes out of your mouth, and for each verse, uh, you identify you in your own words, explain its application to your relationship with your wife, something like that. Uh, I want to I read this third example, because I'm going to give you something in the appendix that will help you. It's helped me. Abstract. Read a good Christian book on handling troubles. Never give that assignment. They're going to go to Amazon or a Christian bookstore and get a bad book with a cool title. Okay? I'll say, read Jay Adams' Christ and Your Problems. And write out what are the ten most significant statements to you from the entire pamphlet. I'm going to even intensify that in a moment. Let's get through the notes. Letter E, always tie the assignment into your local church. Do it. Even if they're a member of another church. Listen, if a pastor calls and says, will you meet with someone from my church? Well, usually I don't. I send them to an ACBC counselor that uses our facilities down the hall. I try to counsel in my church. Okay, the members. I'm in covenant with them. But... Um, I have said yes to other pastors before, but I'll say this to them. I'll say, okay, I'll meet with them probably six to 12 times, and are you okay with them coming to my church for all services during that? Oh, why? Because, well, I'm, it's not disconnected from what my, my pulpit ministry here. First of all, that, that pastor needs to shape up and, and shepherd his sheep. Um, and, and so uh, I've had it before where they'll say, well, you meet with this couple. I say, I just can't, but I can meet for session number one with them, with you in your office. Can I bring my file and get you started on that? And then counsel over his shoulder. I'll try to help him sometimes. Um, So what do you tie in to local church? Service attendance, first bullet point. Serving others. Um, Sermon notes, absolutely. And then church membership. I had a guy come... Uh, to our church once, and his wife, he was visiting from the area, then I noticed his wife started coming, but she's sitting on the other side of the church, lo and behold, they're separated, getting ready to get divorced, and uh, he wanted to help saving the marriage, she wanted nothing to do with it, and I said, he's the, he's the open door into that problem, so I said, I said to him, um, hey, I'll use the name George, I'll say, George, let's go to work, man, let's rescue this marriage, let's see what God's going to do here. I said, but the first homework assignment I need to give you is this, you need to go to the membership class. I need to know that if need be, you're a member and I can bring church discipline to bear on this in your life if needed. 
because you're really going to have to be humbled here. And, uh, you know, talk, talk with that kind of clarity. Letter F, include intense interaction with the Bible, obviously. You say, what do you mean? Reading, journaling, and memorizing. Those are your three bullet points for that, for letter F. Reading, journaling, and memorizing. We've got to finish here. Um, be aware... Okay, where are we? Yeah, the, the planning, our last question. How do you craft relevant assignments? Start with short, simple assignments. This gives hope as they are completed. All right? Especially with depressed people. Don't, don't load them down. You know, I want you to read Grudem's... Pa- I, did ha- I did have a pastor say, I want you... No, one of my students did this last week on an assignment. They, they assigned for their counselee to read Grudem's chapter on justification. Which, Grudem's great... I mean, I mean, I differ with him on some, I'm, I'm a cessationist and all that stuff, but, but he always ends with worship, whatever section he's on. And, and I'm like, well, that's good, but you're, you're talking about a depressed person here. <laughs> Don't do that. You can increase to, I mean, just because they, they're not going to get it done, they'll be discouraged. Letter B, develop the ability to craft unique assignments for your unique counselee. This is you shepherding, Acts 20, 28. Letter C, employ study aids as you prepare assignments. There are some good things out there. The book you were given by Lou Priolo for this conference, I'd never seen that book till I got to my kitchen last night and finally got to dig through the stuff, all the freebies. That's a great book. What to expect if, if you're going to be biblically counseled. And, and in that, um, he, he gives some good examples and in the appendix even homework sheets that you could consider using. And just make them unique for each person. Letter C, uh, but use these study aids to help you. I use the old topical textbook a lot. And I use the old Wellsprings of Life from Orthner is a name that's known here at Inner City. I still use that thing uh, to get around the book of Proverbs. Adams, if you get his counselor's, um, Christian counselor's New Testament, whether or not you like the freedom of his translating work or not, at the back of that there's, there's outlines on topics that's worth the price of the New Testament. Uh, get stuff like that. Uh, be aware of existing resources to assign to your counselees. These are your counselors. I mean, uh, from the book of Proverbs. Pamphlets by Jay Adams, Jim Berg, CCEF. I would really encourage uh, the series. It's called the Lifeline Books from Shepherd's Press. That's, a, that's one of the fastest growing series out there. Lafayette has a series. Um, Priolo has a series. ACBC is starting a series of little homework booklets on topics. I'm a big Lifeline fan myself. Uh, Look for books with study guides, good books with study guides. You get something from MacArthur or perhaps something from, um, I I don't know, uh, Piper or something, Jerry Bridges. Uh, Some of the homework authors you send out might be on a different hermeneutic uh, scale than you are or or have a different rubric, um, covenant or dispensational, whatever. But if they're on point on the topic, don't hesitate to assign their books if they have study guides on family and marriage. My favorite marriage book is, well, my two favorite marriage books to use in counseling are two Sovereign Grace books. Dave Harvey's book, When Sinners Say I Do, and Gary and Betsy Ricucci's book, Love That Last. I love that one. Uh, parenting, personal growth, on and on. Changing to His Image by Jim Berg. You would be, you, some people would say, well, I don't know. He, he, I mean, he's at Bob Jones. <laughs> okay, or whatever. You have no idea how widely that book is used in ACBC circles. There's, there's huge counseling centers. I just had a Zoom meeting with a, 
guy over two residency programs in a counseling center, and he's a fellow out on the West Coast, and he can't use that enough, the change into his image workbook and book. Stuart Scott, when he was a Sunday school teacher at Grace Community Church, um, used that book for Grace Community Church, his class there, and he even Zoomed Jim Bergen for a Sunday school class there, whatever they call it. That book, you just got to like it. It's so helpful. And if you want more of Ephesians than the second book, you might even like better, uh, Created for His Glory. Both have a very intensive workbook. Modern Bible translations help. I'm not just saying, well, if they're just using the King James, shock them with an NAS or an ESV. I'm saying if you've got an NAS person in your office, why don't you shock them with the ESV? Assign them to read out an ESV. If they're ESV only because um, they, they got the Gospel Coalition tattoo, then make them use the NASB. Okay. Can I say this? I've been using NASB since I was 18. It's just what I think in. And I, in 90, the 95, I went to, right to that from the 77. And I'm waiting for the whole legacy thing to come out, and I'll read through that and mark it up and make my own conclusions on that. But I've heard everyone bad-mouthing the NASB 2020, and that's including MacArthur and his crowd. The funny thing is, Lachman owns both the 2020 NASB and Lachman owns the legacy. That's kind of fun to study. But anyway... Um, uh, I'm reading through the, tw- the 2020. I'm almost done marking it up. It's been quite a jolt, and in a good way. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm going to read the critiques of it after I, f- I read it for myself. Um, change things up with people. Use lists, and I give you a series of lists there that I won't read to you. You can read. Definitely use Sermon Audio or YouTube for sermons or lectures. I use a lot of little Jeremy Pierre clips from Southern. Very good. Um, but I also preach series in my church that I want to preach in our church, but I want those series to be available on our sermon audio page for counseling, and I use those a lot. So, And then there's some standard homework forms. I must finish. Uh, there's a quote by Jay Adams again. Let me just show you Appendix A. It's just a suggested counseling homework sheet. Please look at your Lou Priolo book you got yesterday morning when you checked in, no, and compare that with this. There are a lot of good options. Get your juices going. Now, I found a frustration. I like to use counseling um, reading. Like if someone's struggling with depression, I'm probably going to get them over to Ed Welch or something like that. But what I found is that people would love that, and I only have a chapter a week. I only have them read a chapter. And they'd read it right before they came in. If we were meeting at Thursday, they'd read it Thursday morning or Wednesday night. I'm like, well, they haven't been working on it, on this problem for a week. They're cramming for me. I wanted to bust that up, so I developed Appendix B, and I'm just going to say, with all humility, it has fixed the problem. I want them to spend five days in this book, separate, and they have to put the day and the time, and I'll, I'll, I'll lean on them if they're not doing that. Day one, in one sitting, read it and write out your five favorite sentences. Day two, um, go back through that chapter, pick out two verses, and, and assign them to your, your... You're going to pick your own memory verses out of that chapter. Day three is going to take a while, I want you on the back to, to write down uh, specific ways you're going to change. Um, day four, review your memory verses. Day five, read it one more time without a pencil in hand. And I have found that when they come back in, they can teach me that chapter. That's what I want. Okay. Anyway, some things to think through on homework. Um, don't disconnect it from the rest. It's part of this, and it's a constant as long as you're meeting. But anyway, our time is well over.